Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like Jokic. your sitter. Wow. As long as there are fans on this is that's all I care about. So the Warrior fans come in here, the Celtic fans come in here, Laker fans come in here. I take that L on the way out. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. I am Zachary Kosh with DenverStiffs.com. Mr. Gordon Gross is out this week on assignment. We are sending him to the Super Bowl to cover the Chiefs versus Niners. Even though this is a Denver Nuggets blog, that is just the type of coverage you get. I am, of course, joking. Mr. Gross was um, diverted by much more lucrative opportunities, a.k.a. his real job. And, and was not able to join us on the podcast. So we will do this one solo. We will, I always say this, we will try and keep it shorter since nobody likes to listen to me blather on for 45 minutes. But every time I say that, I end up blathering on for about 45 minutes. So I guess we will see uh, where we get to. Big week in terms of Nuggets news. The Nuggets go, what was it? I guess you could say 3-1 and one on the week uh, if we're counting... Oh, if we're going all the way back to last Sunday, which um, I guess we were we were on last week, so maybe that we can only count it as two and one. Either way, uh, most recently, of course, Nuggets lose last night to the Indiana Pacers. At this point in game, they they really kind of controlled uh, a lot of it throughout. I know the defense in particular started getting uh, got worse and worse. As the game went on and ultimately culminates with a 41-point fourth quarter for the Indiana Pacers, that is what they need to overtake the Nuggets. Because otherwise, you know, Denver uh, Denver got out to an early lead, kind of held it all the way through till about that mid-fourth quarter, and then the wheels kind of fell off on them. So tough, a tough loss there for the Nuggets. We'll, of course, dive into that. But um, before we get into that, there are some other things. There's one thing I want to talk about before that, and there's one thing I want to talk about after that. That was something that Coach mentioned during the pregame or the postgame press conference. First off, though, we got to cover Jamal Murray gets hurt against the Charlotte Hornets back at the beginning of the week. The Nuggets have now um, said there is no timetable for his return. Don't read into that too much. It's not like they're saying he'll be out for the season. It is a sprained ankle, though, and those can be a bit finicky to figure out exactly when a guy comes back. It's probably about a two-week ordeal at least, though. Uh, you know, I, the, I think it's been a while since we've had sprained ankles as, as an issue. It was something that uh, Danilo Gallinari fought a lot with his with his frame and kind of the way he played. He put a lot of pressure on those ankles and ended up turning them a lot. You know, and he would... Um, he would, yeah, on occasion be out uh, three, four weeks, and I think in one case when he actually had some ligament damage down there. So something to watch out for. Also, just because of that point guard is where Denver is pretty thin. I mean, they've got they've got Jamal, who's who's not necessarily even a true point guard himself, and they've got one true point guard in Monty Morris. And now, as we're seeing, PJ Dozier, a, a guy on a two way contract, is is getting a lot of time. So I want to dive into Jamal's injury. I want to dive into Dozier. 
Um, how what's been good, uh, the, the silver lining, I guess, in there, and then what also the Nuggets still need to try and overcome. And then finally, for the, the first half of the show, we want to talk about Michael Porter Jr. I can hear Coach grumbling right now. I want to talk specifically about what he said in his press conference last night uh, after the game was over, kind of about, about coverage of Michael Porter Jr., um, and, and why why that's probably got, got Coach pretty annoyed. So we'll, we'll close the first half of that. And then the second half, of course, Nuggets play again tonight. No rest for the weary. They have the Minnesota Timberwolves coming tonight. Or, sorry, they are actually going to Minnesota. Um, tonight, that starts a three-game road trip that the Nuggets will go on this week. It's pretty uh, pretty tough, I, I think, overall, at least in terms of road trips. They've got some winnable games against some, some beatable teams. But there's some unique aspects both to the Timberwolves game as well as the New Orleans Pelicans game. And then they, of course, have the Houston Rockets on that road trip as well. And then a second date uh, with the Rockets this week, I believe. I think they got them at home as well. Yep, they sure do. They'll have them uh, at home on Sunday. So we'll probably be actually talking about that. Uh, we'll probably doing our podcast right after that game next week. Provided Mr. Gross is not engrossed in his work. How do you guys like that? So let's, uh, we'll, we'll definitely dive into to the road trip and, and, and also I want to talk about how that affects the standings. Nuggets now tied with the Utah Jazz atop Northwest Division. Utah's been on a crazy run lately. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them as well because while they are not in this week, uh, Nuggets will play them next week. So that's going to be upcoming. Let's not delay any longer. Let's get into it. Let's start with going back to the Charlotte game. Um, Nuggets get that win. That was uh, pretty. I guess it was it was nice to see because Denver had, of course, struggled uh, coming off that loss to Cleveland. They then beat LA, and so we had seen this kind of continuing struggle with uh, less lower tier teams. Charlotte certainly fits in that. I think Charlotte actually might be in the playoff picture, or maybe a game out. But that's just because the East, like like the West, uh, that eighth seed in the East. Is not not a lot to write home about. It doesn't take too much to get there. So they actually might be a, a playoff contending team, but certainly not on the level that Nuggets. Nuggets get that win. It was nice to see that. It was nice to see Michael Porter Jr. play strong in that game. In particular, he had a huge run there in that second quarter. He scored something like what, like eleven points in like a minute. Um, PJ Dozier then comes in in relief of uh, Jamal Murray and plays very well as well. That, I think, is is obviously the silver line that we can take out of the Jamal Murray injury, right, is the way P.J. Dozier has played. He wasn't necessarily the greatest uh, right out of the gate in that Charlotte game. It was kind of in the third quarter when he first came in. I thought it looked a little clunky. Um, there was a little bit of uh, just adaptation because he came in and with, with the starters still in there. I think he was one of the first subs, and... You could just tell it was there was a little bit off of, of a guy who's not played a ton with this group, particularly in, in game matchups. In fact, it was his very first uh, actual game with the Nuggets getting minutes. But you could tell there was there was some sort of like figuring it out, and and it didn't quite look the greatest there in that third quarter. He came back in the fourth, uh, played excellent. I think he scored nine straight for the Nuggets. Really kind of uh, ended what was. Charlotte's last gasp run at trying to make a game of it. And and it, what I thought I noticed, though, on that was he was kind of got into a mode where it looked like he was okay. P.J. Dozier was it was doing a lot of playmaking for himself, and it worked. I mean, and nobody else was scoring, so I'm not, I'm not trying to 
uh, beat the guy up about it or anything. But but I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't necessarily like, oh, hey, it's he's really working within the flow of the offense. Everything looks uh, like we're just seamlessly moving or getting over this injury to Jamal. It was definitely more like, hey, it's it's P.J. Dozier doing what P.J. Dozier does really well, which is, you know, he can, can use his size and his skill to to take advantage of matchups against smaller guards and, and get into the lane and get get good buckets, knock down some threes when he's got a good look at it. You know, that was that was what we got, and it was it was really good to see. I think he ends up with something like twelve points in that game. But I thought though the issues that we noticed that I noticed there in that, that third quarter really kind of were highlighted in that next game against Golden State, where it was just it was just really clunky. Um when he was out there that game he did not have you know he didn't have his best outing the nuggets in general don't have a very good outing they end up winning it in overtime but let's be honest it's because they're playing uh the the g league warriors instead of uh instead of anybody else they probably lose that game but they end up they end up pulling out but i thought what we noticed and what really gave um the warriors a shot in the game was was this the the point guard play in particular was was tough to watch and, and you know Dozier ended up only getting seven minutes in that game um, they really leaned on Will Barton a ton that night for uh, creation and he did awesome he scored 31 points so it, it worked out for them but I, th- I thought more so than than any other game that that Warriors game kind of highlighted the issues that you have with with a PJ Dozier coming in here and replacing a Jamal Murray there are some some growing pains if you will that you're going to face and, and I don't know that there's any way you can get past that other than just continuing um, to give the guy minutes and, and, and just, you know, he's he's a guy who, who honestly, I think I've been, been very impressed with. Um, and just so far in these three games, he's now looked like a guy who, hey, he could actually be um, a piece. You know, he could be a guy who could maybe end up finding his way into your rotation. It's a little tough because you've got two young point guards as is. Uh, but PJ's a combo guard, and, and you could see where he could get some uh, get some minutes. Like he he reminds me much more on his path of a guy like a Tory Craig um, or Monty Morris than he does of a, of a Thomas Welsh or a, a Devon Akun Purcell. He's you know those guys like like we all love Thomas Welsh, of course, um, but it was pretty obvious to be like mm, this guy is not not really an NBA player. Like he's there's it's hard to see unless he starts knocking down threes at like a forty five percent clip. It's hard to see where Thomas Welsh fits on an NBA roster. PJ Dozier, you can look at right now. It's like, yeah, like that guy, that guy could be a great backup point guard um, for either this team or a lot of teams out there in the NBA. It'll be interesting to see how the Nuggets approach that. And he gives them, uh, he gives them something that they don't otherwise have, which is a big point guard to help them have a big backcourt. You know, with Gary Harris out as well, we're seeing Torrey Craig play shooting guard. We're seeing Michael Porter Jr. get in at small forward and that's shifting. Will Barton over to shooting guard. Nuggets suddenly have when they've got Dozier out there a pretty large lineup. You know we saw uh, against the Pacers there, and, and and they actually played pretty well. A lot of it was just Will Barton making shots, but we saw you know Dozier, Barton, Porter. Um, I think Grant was still in at that point, and then Plumley, and, and it was like just this ultra long, big lineup. Even then, when when Grant comes out, Wancho comes in. In terms of length, you don't really lose anything there. The, that was really kind of an interesting element that we haven't seen too much out of the Nuggets, just because they they don't have big backcourts. It's just it's just kind of who they are. So um, I really liked I like that from from that group. I think that can be something that can be 
uh, maybe not, not maybe not something they lean on a ton, but you know, a wrinkle they can add against certain certain matchups. At least while Jamal's out, you know, I don't know how much they're going to play PJ Dozier once he's back. Probably not a lot. He'll probably go back down to the G League. Um, but I think the other thing that I really noticed in the Indiana game, particularly in the uh, in the second half, there was Dozier doing a lot better running the offense for the Knicks, particularly running that pick and roll with Mason Plumlee, which was a big concern about Jamal Murray being out, right? Because not only now do you lose Jamal Murray from your starting lineup, you have to move Monty Morris into the starting lineup, which takes away from that pick and roll that you got uh, working so well on your bench between Monty Morris and Mason Plumlee. So I thought we really saw, uh, you know, a couple times we got saw that alley-oop get delivered by uh, by Dozier off the pick and roll, and that's, that's good to see because they don't want to lose that element you need you need something in the terms of creation uh, for this team that you can get, uh, you know, that you can get out of that bench unit and you're not just relying on a Malik Beasley or Michael Porter Jr. to go off and, and, and kind of do it individually. So we'll see, you know, you looked at Jamal's injury. It looked like he could be out for, for several games. He probably, I mean, it would not surprise me if he stays home for this uh, road trip and they maybe start trying to figure out how to integrate him back once they get back at the end of the week so you're gonna have to ride with Dozier for a bit and you're gonna have to see what he can do and you're gonna have to try and make it work and I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing like I said I've been impressed with his play I think he's shown that he's got more he's more than just a G League guy and so you know it's it's something that perhaps it, it like I said maybe it's the the silver lining here is that you've got a chance to get him um you know, you've got a chance to get, get get a better evaluation on PJ, and hopefully it doesn't hurt you too much. But it is hurting you, I think. I think that's the uh, the thing that you really have to be cognizant of is is even with Dozier looking good, the Nuggets have struggled mightily from the three-point line uh, in particular. And, and pretty much outside of the Golden State game, um, aren't, aren't just executing well on offense in general, and even the the Golden State game, when they hit their threes, which is so much so much of this game is just you know boils down to these guys are hitting their, their three point shots. Um, but it really it really was a struggle against Charlotte, and it also was a struggle against the Pacers, and in particular, it was the starters. Like you know, against the, in Charlotte, I think it was maybe Will Barton um, shot really well in that game, but the rest of your starters from three were were not good. And uh, then in, in against last night against Indiana, I mean nobody could hit shots against Indiana. Indiana, it was a dismal performance from the three point shooting. And and while look, Jamal has not been uh, Jamal has not been a great three point shooter himself so far this year. But teams respect that. They know they've seen what this guy can do when he gets rolling. They know that he's the type of guy who can put up twenty points on you in a quarter. Um, He's the type of guy who can hit threes from anywhere on the court. So I think, you know, even though he's not necessarily hitting them at a 40% clip, um, there's a lot of respect there that that teams have to give him, and they don't have to do that necessarily to Monty Morris, which is funny because Monty Morris actually does hit at a 40% clip. But um, it's just it's just I, I, I think the threat and the perception of the threat with Jamal out there is, is much greater. And... and Denver hasn't figured out how to, um, hasn't really figured out how to how to get that going 
for them themselves with with him out there in this this week, and I think it's going to be fairly crucial for them to do that because uh, this is this is the way teams are going to play them now. They're going to they're going to clog lane at least. Uh, I'll say this at least if if you continue to start Tory Craig. Uh, as your as your small forward, that teams are now you've got Tory Craig, now you've got Monty Morris, um, you've got Jeremy Grant out there who's been up and down. You know, it's there's there's not a ton uh, that scares I think teams right now in terms of um, in terms of shooting uh, outside of outside of maybe Will Barton when he's going and then Nikola Jokic. But as we've even seen with Nikola Jokic, teams are gonna make him prove it at least from outside before they before they commit to defending that so whether it's maybe working Monty Morris into more Jamal Murray type shots which is difficult because Murray Murray's a lot of Murray's shots are what's kind of funny to say is is, is created by himself and they're not necessarily the best opportunities but Murray the way he plays the way his ability is he can he can make some of those ridiculously tough shots and and we'd all rather he just shoot threes and layups, but that's just not his game. And you're not going to get that game either out of Monty Morris and what, what Jamal does do. So I don't I don't know if maybe you're going to have to just start working, you know, trying to work him more off ball and make teams respect it that way. Or are you going to have to make a change um, at small forward, which I'm like, I, well, I mean, let's get into it. Let's get into the Pacers game specifically last night. And, and Torrey Craig started. I said this is what would happen. I, th- I thought they would start Torrey Craig um, and Jeremy Grant, even though the – the Pacers play a pretty big front court. That is, of course, what the Nuggets and Coach Malone did, and it was it was disappointing to see because Torrey Craig was not good defensively. I mean, nobody was good defensively. Let's let's throw that out there. But Torrey Craig specifically, I mean, T.J. Warren just beat him on 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 more than one occasion. You know, it was it wasn't a matter of T.J. Warren making a great shot or or doing some getting just set up with such a great play. It was just a fact of the matter of, you know, Torrey closing out too hard and, and getting blown by or Torrey getting lost in rotation. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, watch Hernan Gomez. Yikes. Trying to defend um, Doug McDermott was, was just painful to watch last night. And Michael Porter Jr. too. It was not... I mean, as we know, I mean the guys. The guys probably the worst perimeter defender they have right now. At least the guys they're going to put actually put out on the perimeter. So basically, um, I don't know that like it was. It's 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 a, continues to be an effective option for the for the. Um, the Nuggets to, to keep to keep Tory Craig in there because Tory's. He's just, he's really struggling. He really, I don't want to say he struggles on offense. It's because it's not, not necessarily that. I don't, I don't think you can expect too much out of Tori. And, and, and it's more shame on you if you're thinking that you're going to get this guy to be a three and D guy at this point. I think he, we've shown he's just not a consistent enough shooter outside to really offer that to you. But you, you put him out there because you figure a guy like a TJ Warren is not going to be able to hurt you when you've got. When you've got him there, and instead they they can't get anything from him, and it's like, well, what are we doing then? Because I mean, T.J. Warren in this game, he, he ends up having a really, really was one of the guys who really hurt Denver. I mean, twenty two points on thirteen shots, hit all eight of his free throws. It, they, it wasn't like he was hitting out, taking out such shots. He only took one three pointer. He beat them by getting inside. Uh, and getting layups. I mean, that's that's how he did it, and and that's Tory Craig is supposed to stop that. So if he's not going to stop that, then I don't know, you know, particularly why he's out there. The other thing that really killed them 
the Nuggets, that is, against these Pacers, is, man, the pick and roll was just... Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis absolutely could not uh, be stopped in that pick and roll. And it was just it was just a pick-your-poison kind of thing. You know, at first, it seemed like a lot of the times um, Monty was trying to fight through the screen, and that would let, get the switch... Uh, and Brogdon was just, I mean, he was just too fast for Jokic or Plumlee or whoever else was uh, getting pulled in that pick and roll. It was usually Jokic who the, um, the 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 Pacers tried to get out there, which was which I thought was an interesting thing for the coach and his approach. Like they, I I kind of figured they'd put Jeremy Grant on Sabonis um, to help kind of try and defend the pick and roll a little bit better. They didn't. They they definitely. Uh, I guess we're worried about maybe the the weight disparity there. The I mean, Sabonis is, is a guy who's quite good in the post as well, so perhaps they wanted a little more girth there. Regardless, though, you know, it did not it did not work very well for the Nuggets. They the Pacers were certainly able to take advantage of um, Jokic out there on on that pick and roll and and uh, Morris as well. It, it it wasn't like I said. It was like I said. It was a pick your pick your poison sort of scenario. It was really tough. For the Nuggets to overcome that, um, and it was really tough for the Nuggets, let's be honest, to overcome just the defense in general. I mean, it was, whether it was like we talked about, the wing defense, which they got nothing from anyone uh, out of, whether it was that uh, the defense from the pick and roll like we talked about, or really, honestly, what, what ended up losing them the game was the bench. Uh, just stop playing D. Basically, there in mid fourth quarter, they they kind of forgot that Doug McDermott can only do one thing, which is which is shoot three pointers, and they let him. I mean, they let him go off and and lead that that forty one point fourth quarter, and it's. I mean, it's just disappointing to see that to, when you got a, a team, a good team like Indiana on the ropes, and you're up seven with. You know, whatever it was, eight or so minutes left to go. You, that's that's the time you want to see your team have that killer instinct and put them away. And it really, it really just it didn't happen like that at all. The bench really struggled. Wancho, I thought in particular, was really struggling along with MPJ um, on the defensive side there in that fourth quarter, and, and that that really hurt them. And then you know they get the they get the starters back in, but there's it, there wasn't. Um, at that point, there wasn't much they could do to stop that that momentum, and they didn't even go full starters, which I think is a little bit interesting. They they did at that point. They did go with Plumley and Jokic um, over. I think it was over Morris. I think that they took Monty Morris out. He had Will Barton running the the point. Torrey Craig at shooting guard. Jeremy Grant at small forward. And Grant was actually playing pretty well. Uh, he was without him. The Nuggets. This they actually ended up probably losing by double digits, but. Um, I don't I, I don't love I don't love going to Plumley there and 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 going away from from Morris. I get why you do it because you're getting killed on that pick and roll and so you want to add some extra length. You want to be able to keep them away from just pulling Jokic out there uh the three-point line and getting him in the screen. Uh it's a little bit tougher if they if you put Mason Plumley on Sabonis, but it just I I they the they had no answer and I wish I, I don't I guess the thing is it's hard for me to come up with an answer for him. I don't know, do you keep Michael Porter Jr. in there when he's not defending well? Um but maybe he can give you some more uh some more firepower. I think that was perhaps uh perhaps some of the, some people's thoughts uh, on what they should have done. They would they would try to uh, get the question 
out. Mike Singer from the Denver Post tried to ask about Michael Porter Jr. He was he was quite shot down. Let's let's actually get into that and then because we're getting we're getting a little bit long here in this first half of the show. Um so Mike Singer asks a question regarding Michael Porter Jr.'s performance and Coach Malone had this to say. Every night's not gonna be about Michael Porter. I mean like it's Michael Porter played fine tonight. He didn't make shots, he rebounded, but this loss has nothing to do with Michael Porter. The Denver Nuggets lost tonight. I don't want every game, every post-game news conference just being about Michael Porter. That's unfair to the other guys and unfair to him as well. Next question. So here's my, here's my issue with, it, with the quote. I get, I get Coach's frustration because this is, this, he doesn't want to hear about the, this rookie uh, coming off his bench every single night. Uh, it, it's a bit of an, it's, I'll, I'll just put it this way. It, it's an orange slices quote from coach, right? Like, it's not fair to the other players. It's not fair to Michael Porter Jr. Well, in some way, too bad. Like, this is this is the this is the NBA. This is the way it goes. Michael Porter Jr. is the most the most entertaining player in terms of what people want to read about, what people are talking about that you have on your roster. And I get it. That's maybe not deserved. In fact, it really isn't. I mean, the guy hasn't done anything since high school. He was phenomenal in high school, did things that we haven't seen since the like of Dwight Howard and LeBron James, who were basically the last two guys to come straight out of high school and have a successful career. They, you know, so there's that height that was there. This is this is the time we live in and the AAU ball and social media and all that. Like that hype has been built before he ever came to the Denver Nuggets. And then we all had to sit there and wait for a full season, basically two seasons if you were following his career before the NBA because he didn't play at Mizzou basically at all either. So you wait two seasons, he's finally playing, and he's flashing. Like, And Coach has said it. That's the thing. Like, Coach, he's he's part of this issue too. If he thinks it's an issue, he's part of it because he's the guy who has said numerous times in press conferences about how Michael Porter Jr. is special, about how he can be a, a difference maker for this team, about how talented he is. Like, Coach has fed into this too. So it's a little bit disingenuous for him to now come back and say, well, I don't want to talk about it. It's not fair to the other players. Like, this is the NBA. This is an entertainment league. We're here to entertain people, and people are most entertained by that guy. That's who they want to read about. That's who they want to hear about. So I don't really care who's it's fair to. That's not. It's not the job of the media to be fair to the players. Other than in the fact that, let me let me step that back. We need to be fair in that these are human beings and we need to treat them like human beings. But it's it, it, it's not a situation where we need to be cognizant of their feelings because they're not getting enough coverage. That's, that's when you start caping for a team. That's when you start becoming PR for a team when you give them the coverage that they want instead of what the coverage that the fans want. And that's why you're going to continue to get asked every single night about Michael Porter Jr. And that's why you need to answer the questions. It's not it's not fair to the fans for you to say, well, I'm not going to answer about things that you guys want to hear about because I don't think it's fair to the other players. Like that, I'm getting I'm getting riled up. But that 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 really bugged me that, that he he decided to call it about fairness. And I get I get what he's saying about Michael Porter Jr. and it's not necessarily fair, but I don't think that kid's shying away from it. I don't think he's ever been one to shy away from the limelight or say, I don't want this. It's not like a Nikola Jokic who wants absolutely nothing more than to not be bothered by the media and to not be in the limelight. Michael Porter Jr. is a little bit different kind of guy, and I don't think he's ever, ever given anybody any indication that he doesn't want the spotlight or that he's not, the spotlight is too big for him. Like, he 
this is what he's built for. This is what the fans want to hear about. This is what the fans want to read about. Like, you don't, there's no reason to cut off a reporter like Mike Singer and a, a legitimate, like, well-respected reporter from a well-respected outlet um, and, and, and act like his question isn't worthy because it's not fair to the other players. They, it's it's an orange slices statement, like I said, and it's um, I was a little bit surprised for coach to go that direction. Not not too surprised because I I get why he's annoyed. I do get like from his perspective, he's like, man, I'm trying to win games. This this guy is you know coming off the bench. Yes, he's talented, but he's not he's not one of my starting group. He's not even necessarily a guy who's been regularly in the rotation up until this point. So why am I having to answer questions about him every time? But that's also like I said, disingenuous. You know why you have to answer questions about him, um, any all the time, and it's not going away. It, it's definitely not going away, and and it's that's a good thing. Like the, we we complain and complain and complain. We have altitude reporters asking Stephen A. Smith, like, why aren't we getting enough national recognition? And then the one guy you have who is the most marketable guy you have on the national scene, and that's the one you want to be like, wow, it's not fair if we only talk about him, like. I, this is this is good. Michael Porter Jr. bringing eyes to the Denver Nuggets is good, and we should talk about him after every game because that's what the overwhelming majority of NBA fans want when it comes to the Denver Nuggets. I'm sure somebody's going to be angry about that because they there's going to be you know even local fans are going to be like this is this is ridiculous. Why are we always talking about this guy? But I mean it is what it is. This is just we don't we don't get to drive the narrative. We get to report the narrative, and and that the narrative. Uh, around the Denver Nuggets nationally is Michael Porter more so than anything else. All right, let's go ahead and let's take a break. And when we get back, let's we'll take some time. We'll, we'll start looking uh, looking forward to this, this upcoming. Week. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. rolling solo here. Gordon is working on a real job instead. Uh, we certainly certainly understand that here at the uh, at the Denver Stiffs. We spent our first half of the show talking uh, quite a bit about uh, like Michael Porter Jr. Uh, about losing to Indiana and with terrible defense and, and Jamal Murray's injury and how that uh, how that is affecting the Nuggets. Now we're going to turn and look towards the upcoming week. We won't spend too much time on this because we are running a little bit, a little bit long already in that first half. But basically, the Nuggets now have a three-game road trip. It's it's a tough one, uh, even though it doesn't necessarily appear to be tough. One because it's short; it's only three games. Two because they've got two losing teams on there, um, and then I think what Houston probably sandwiched right in the middle. And then they close out the the week with Houston again, this time at home. On a Sunday matinee, you guys will have to make that tough decision. Nuggets basketball or the Pro Bowl? I think I know which way you're all gonna go. Um, but uh, that'll be that'll be closing out the week for Denver. So let's look at this road trip. Starts tonight, as a, to do my best what uh, my best Birdo impression from uh, the Altitude Radio tonight. The Nuggets will be on the uh, on in Minnesota to play the Timberwolves. Uh, it's it's a tough it's an interesting game because it's it's a tough schedule game right one it's a division opponent so you know division opponents are going to play you tougher than what you would particularly expect from an Eastern Conference team like a, like an Indiana Pacers or something like that. Um, Minnesota has also been they I mean they've had a rough go of it they've, they've had a pretty tough schedule and they haven't played very well against it as of late, but. So you kind of wonder how much motivation will they have? They should be pretty pretty desperate to get a win. Their season is kind of already getting away from them, and it was a team who certainly had some hopes uh, to make the playoffs. Obviously, they didn't get there last year. Things kind of went off the rails for them last year. But I think you were hoping, hey, we had that whole Jimmy Butler fiasco and whatnot. Now that's out. We're we're definitely committed to you know Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. I know that's kind of a little, ugh. but you know Wiggins has actually been decent this year so you thought maybe this is a team that was going to get back on on track and they just they just had it they trade jeff teague last week um for alan crab it's a, obviously there's a lot of rumors going around about d'angelo russell who had had, had some interest with minnesota in the offseason it seems like they're setting up for something like that because they without jeff teague uh they, they, I mean, they really don't have a point guard it's 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 just such a weird Kind of situation there. They've got some nice young players, obviously, in Wiggins and Talons. I like uh, Jared Culver. I think he's a solid piece for them at the shooting guard spot. But they're just not a good team. Yet they're going to catch a division rival on the second night of a back-to-back who's losing an hour, uh, flying out there. And they're desperate for a win. Like, this is, to me, not an easy game for the Nuggets by any means. And I, I would not be surprised to see them lose lose this game, particularly because who's going to defend Andrew Wiggins? Like that's I'm more concerned about Andrew Wiggins tonight than I am um, about 
Carl Anthony Towns. This seems like one of those games where a guy like Andrew Wiggins scores 30 points on you and you end up losing um, because you just can't, you're just not set up to defend a player like that right now with your roster. So interesting to see too if the Nuggets go away from anything they've done in the starting lineup. I mean, I guess the, the, the point would be Torrey Craig and what would you do there? Do you start a guy like a Michael Porter Jr.? Do you maybe go with Malik Beasley? Uh, in that in that spot instead, do you do you give Wancho a shot? You know, there's a lot of different ways they can go in terms of wings. So it'll be interesting to see after Tory Craig was fairly ineffective last night. How do you how do you respond? Do you maybe make a change there? Um, I don't know necessarily that they would. I think Tory Craig's probably your best bet at defending Andrew Wiggins. So you probably you probably keep uh, everything the same. On this one, the Minnesota is going to play a little bit smaller with, with Robert Covington over at the power forward spot, so that works well. If you got Jeremy Grant, that's a matchup you um, you at least feel pretty good about. You don't think you're, you're overmatched there. So would not surprise me to see them come out with the same lineup as they did last night, but also um, maybe they try something different. Like I said, Minnesota doesn't have a very good, very good point guard situation. You're missing your stop top point guard but can you still try and find a way to take advantage of that uh, with a monty morris with a pj dozier trying to get get something going uh from there because they, they're pretty they're pretty solid up the rest of that starting lineup and I, I think if you're looking at a spot where where they might have a weakness that's the first place you're looking so it'll be interesting to see how they um how they approach that. The the other game that you would figure would be fairly simple on this road trip is the New Orleans Pelicans, but as we've seen, Nuggets struggle with the Pelicans in general. Brandon Ingram, another guy who tends to kill them because they don't really have a big wing to defend him, uh, but also Zion Williamson is going to be back. And who the heck is going to defend Zion Williamson, especially if Paul Millsap is out because that's the guy you would, you would typically put on him. I imagine they would have Jeremy Grant on him. Your concern there is is Grant's giving up a lot of a lot in terms of girth, like we were talking about with DeMontis Sabonis. So I don't know that maybe he's your best bet, but I think that's probably the way you're going to have to go because even if you had Paul Millsap, you worry it's the opposite. You know Paul's got the the, the strength to bang with Zion, um, but I don't know that he's got the quickness to keep up with him, and that could be uh, that could be an issue. We also haven't seen Zion play this year, and he's coming off injury, so who knows where he's at physically as well. I assume... You never know because sometimes NBA teams do stupid things. But I assume Zion is is fully healthy and the Pelicans would not be trotting him out there if he wasn't 100% to go and they weren't 100% on it. But um, we shall see, I suppose, on that end. Uh, but it, the, I think the point being is it's not necessarily uh, an easy game. And, and we should know that anyways because, like I said, the Pelicans have – Given the Nuggets, given give the Nuggets problems already this season, but I think with Zion there as well, it's just one more wrinkle now that you've got to consider because now you've got Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram out there on the wings. You were already having struggling uh, to defend one. Now how do you defend two? I don't. I. It's a big question for me, and I think the Nuggets are going to have a hard time answering it. So I don't think that's that's a gimme. And then the other the road game is is Houston, right? And and Houston is. In particular, one that you... It's so hard to say, right? Because they had such a perfect game plan against them the first time around, and then just got murdered the second time around, like you expect them to get murdered by Houston. So it's hard to say uh, how the Nuggets will end up faring against the Rockets. They, but they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, you've got to at least split that those those two games you've got against Houston this week, I think. I think you, you're basically trying to fight to a... A, a two for two um, 
I guess a two for two overall record this week. If you can if you can get one of these wins against these two lesser teams and then also get one of the two Houston games, you feel pretty good. If you beat both of the lesser teams and lose both to Houston, you don't necessarily feel great, but at least you survive the week. Obviously you're hoping to go three and one, right? You're hoping you take care of business against Minnesota. You're hoping you take care of business against New Orleans and then you split these games with Houston. Uh, the the alternate the alternate being you don't get either of the games in Houston and then you split the games against Minnesota and New Orleans. That's kind of like your I think your worst case scenario here. And it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. I think it, that's also positive or a good chance that could happen because it's I just don't know that, that Denver can beat Houston on a consistent basis. I, I think what we saw that first game of the season was the Nuggets had this perfect game plan that Houston wasn't expecting, and Houston also didn't do a great job of just executing and hitting shots, as James Harden would, would be quick to point out. Um, and and you're not going to catch them by surprise again with that, and, and that's – Without that, I don't know what's your next wrinkle, right? Because they they figured that out. So how do you come back? And I don't know what it is. I don't. I, I think there's a lot of limitations on in terms of the Nuggets roster when it comes to playing that Houston team. And I think no matter what, yeah, you can get a game here, you can get a game there, you can catch them by surprise with a nice with a really good game plan. But um, more often than not, I think you're going to end up losing those games. And that that brings us to I guess where how we'll end this show, which is. This is a very interesting period for the Nuggets coming up. They have a decent schedule through through the All-Star break. And once they get out of the All-Star break is really when they hit the murderer's road. The, the month of March is tough. The Nuggets are on the road a lot. They're going to be playing a lot of high-quality teams. They've done everything they need to do up to this point. They're on pace um, for a for a season franchise record in wins, or at least tying it right now uh, after the loss last night. But they've... they've done well with what has been mostly viewed as the softer part of the schedule this beginning of this year. Now they're going to have to turn it around and they need to still, but they need to keep their foot on the gas pedal up until the all-star break in particular, because they're now tied as I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, they're now tied with the Utah jazz. They have, um, they have only just a handful of games above Houston who they will see twice this week, who I think sits in the 60 right now. So, um, the Nuggets are who have sat pretty much in the number two seed throughout the entire year are are in danger this week and this month in particular of falling into that that position where you're fighting just to get home court in the first round. And if they if they trip up here in the end of January, beginning of February, it's gonna be real they're gonna have to play outstanding basketball. I'm not saying that they can't, but they're gonna have to play outstanding basketball. In March, and and the thing is, is if you can just make hey now, the, the thing about Utah is they they won something crazy like they won like fifteen out of sixteen or something like that. Um, they played a ton of bad teams. I think the Clippers were like the only winning team they won in that stretch, and then their one loss was against Miami, the other good team in their stretch. They played, you know, bad team after bad team after bad team. It's gonna get tougher for them coming up here. They're gonna start getting some more quality opponents, some more playoff caliber opponents, and we're gonna find out. You know, is this team real? Is this Utah run real? Or was that just kind of a schedule thing? But the fact of the matter is, is it won't necessarily matter if if Utah just holds serve. And, you know, obviously we don't expect them to win as much as they have um, this this season. But 
or, or through this stretch, but they're still going to be a very talented team, and they're still going to win more games than they're not. I mean, they, everybody expects Utah to be one of the top teams in the West, at least, you know, certainly a playoff team. So this is this is such a crucial moment for, for Nuggets, and it starts this week. Like, you, you have to stop playing down to your competition. You have to start finding ways to hit your shots, particularly from outside, and you have to be able to hold on when you've got good teams like the Indiana Pacers on the ropes at home. You can't give up 41 points in a fourth quarter. Like, the 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 time for mistakes is really over. This is it. They, they need to start hitting their stride, and I, I really feel like this three-game road trip is when they're going to have to do it. So very, very interested to see how this goes. Uh, another thing to, to note, Oklahoma City is, is not – terribly far behind there i think i'm like six games back then so they're not terribly close either but they've got a pretty easy stretch coming up as well so um another team you've got to have on your radar all right guys i think we will go ahead we will close it out for the week with that make sure you guys are following me i am at zach mikosh on twitter make sure you're following mr gross at g money nugs of course at pickaxe podcast at denver stiffs it's all right there in the name for you guys uh make sure you're following us on youtube over at Instagram, at The Denver Stiffs, also on Facebook. And subscribe to the podcast channel where you will get the show, Nuggets, Numbers, The Dig, and The Denver Stiff Show uh, every week right to your smart device or however you like to listen to your podcast. So if you're subscribed to the network, um, make sure you're doing that and you will get all that stuff. And with that said, we will talk to everybody next week.